church? Everybody doing fine? Boy, it's going to be great when this COVID thing is behind behind us and we can have the rest of our family back here with us, huh? It's going to be awesome to have them all back. But for now, good to see you guys. Praise the Lord. So um, this morning, we're going to do um, offense and forgiveness number three. Uh, this, I believe, will be the last of the parts, the three parts in the forgiveness teaching and the offense teaching. And uh, today's sermon is going to be particularly difficult for me. It's going to be very personal. I'm going to bear my heart with you uh, for the sake of your soul. And uh, I'm going to cover a period in my life of about 11 years, uh, starting around uh, 1997 through to the year 2008. Not that I haven't had to forgive people after that, <laughs> or that I haven't had opportunities to be offended uh, after that period 2008, but this was a particularly difficult period in my life, and so I'm going to share that with you. I'm going to ask you four questions, um, and the uh, first question I'm going to ask you is about the progression of offenses. Remember, I gave you this progression, and I said an offense occurs when somebody hurts you, and then that hurt uh, turns into an offense because you take the offense, and so it turns into an offense, and if you don't deal with it, it goes to anger, and anger becomes unforgiveness, and then unforgiveness becomes hate. Those are the four stages. Um, that we go through. So my first question to you is this. Does it matter if we don't take corrective action? These are the five stages. Does it matter? So just hold your answers for now. I want you to simmer on it. Let's give you two scriptures. The first one is found in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20. And it goes like this. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother. This would mean that he's gone through all five stages, right? Gone through all five stages, so he's reached the end. Hates his brother. This person is a liar. So he says he, hate, he loves God, but he hates his brother. This person is a liar. He who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Now, this word uh, liar that we're looking at here, what Jesus, well, not Jesus, what John is saying is that this person is a hypocrite. Does that make sense to you? He's a hypocrite. So I, I said, I love God, but I hate my brother. The Bible says you're a hypocrite. There's no way you can do it. And another word for hypocrite would be you're a fraud or you're phony. Now, <clears throat> What is one of the single most criticism levied at the Church of Jesus Christ? What do they say? Hypocrites. We're hypocrites. Am I right? Yeah. To our shame. Why, why would they say we're hypocrites? Because we say one thing and do another. Isn't that the truth? And this is exactly what John is saying. You say you, you, say you love God, but you hate your brother. Well, that's saying one thing and doing another. And, and those two are, are not compatible as Christians. So let me give you another scripture, also found in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother, obviously he's gone through all five stages, is a murderer. 
Well, the first one was just a liar. You were just a fraud. You were just a hypocrite. This time you're a murderer. And now, John says, by the Spirit of God, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That's sad. That's sad. So this person was absolutely not saved. person who hates his brother, no matter what it is, is not saved. Now, if you look at the book of Revelation, Jesus says this. All liars and all murderers will be in the lake of fire. He didn't say unbelieving liars. He didn't say non-Christian murderers. Are you there? You've gone home. I know we're only two minutes in. And you can really feel the flame. But I'm here for you so that by the grace of God, you don't experience what Revelation says. How many don't want to go to the hot place? There's something we can do about it. So understand, there's something we can do about it. So now, Jesus said if your brother repents, forgive him. Right? Let's read the scripture in Luke 17 and 3. <clears throat> if your brother sins, rebuke him. In other words, tell him, listen, man, that didn't go down well. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. So you've got somebody here who's constantly offending people or sinning. But he comes back, or she comes back, and says, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And you go, no, man. Three strikes and you're out. But Jesus said, no, even after seven, he's not out. If he comes back seven times, you're to forgive him. So now I have question two and three. I said I've got four questions for you. Here's question two and three. And don't answer them. I'm going to give you a scripture. What if the person is not a brother and doesn't repent? The third question is, what if the person's a Christian brother and doesn't repent? See, this verse Jesus said, if your brother comes back and repents, forgive him. Clear, easy enough. You've got a brother in the church, a Christian, somebody else, they offend you, they do something, the person comes and says sorry. <clears throat> don't, don't raise your hand. How many of you have had people offend you and never apologized? You're holding your hand. You're fighting it. You're fighting. I can see that inside of you. Pastor, let me raise my hand. I want to. They didn't say sorry. Even if you try to sort it out, they still didn't say sorry. In other words, they didn't repent. So what happens if it's a Christian person doesn't repent? But there's another problem. What happens if it's an unsafe person, an unbeliever, and they offend you and they don't repent? So now, 
Let's read Jesus' answer. Isn't it great that we've got answers in the Bible for all the questions that we ask? Jesus said in Matthew 6, 14, If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Do you notice what Jesus didn't say? He didn't say, Christian brother. He said men. What else didn't he say? Come on now. Come on at the back. You got the answer all the way there, Mike. You got the answer. He, they, they didn't what? They didn't repent. Oh, this is getting worse, isn't it? This is getting worse. So here's the answer. Jesus said, if someone sins against you, they offend you. And even if they don't repent, and even if they're not a Christian, guess what? You have to forgive them. And what's more, what did Jesus add to that? If you don't. Look, these, these guys are sharp, man. He's a visitor today. Next time you've got to sit in the front row, brother. Okay. Yeah, you will not be. There, he's moving already. I love it. I love it. That's what I like to see. That's commitment. So, even if they are not a Christian, even if they don't repent, guess what? We have to forgive them. Why? Because it's not about them. It's about us. Isn't it? It's about us. Okay, so. Now, we've all heard about the unpardonable sin. Okay, we've all heard about the unpardonable sin. And, and, and what is it? What is it? Real quick. Grieving the Holy Spirit, sinning against the Holy Spirit, blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. We all know that. All right? So, but what about the sin of unforgiveness? First of all, is it a sin? Do you think unforgiveness is a sin? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's, it's a sin. Is the sin of unforgiveness an unpardonable sin? Okay, so let me say this. All right? Aren't you glad you came to church this morning with all these questions that you have? Okay, so here's the thing. Your forgiveness for the sin is not up to God. I'm going to hold on there just a moment. Your forgiveness is in your own hands. You will determine whether or not you are pardoned or not. You will determine whether you are forgiven or not. You see, it's not an unpardonable sin if we pardon. But if we don't pardon, it's an unpardonable sin. Is that too complicated? All right, so what we have is that the sin of forgiveness is a coin, two sides to the coin. One side is unpardonable sin. The other side, pardonable sin. Isn't that weird? And God gave us the power to forgive ourselves and to pardon ourselves 
through the decision-making process he gave us, we can decide whether we want to be pardoned. We can decide whether we want to be forgiven. It's not up to God. It's whether we forgive others or not. Everybody say arrow tip. Say it again. I want to read you something in Hebrews chapter 12. You're welcome to go back to your friends if you want to, but you're sitting next to a gorgeous girl in the front row, so you, I think you made that move on purpose. Yeah, yeah, look, I'm watching you. Just kidding with you. All right, so Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. So we must let go every wound that has pierced us. And the sin we so easily fall into. Have you ever wondered what the sin was that you so easily fall into? You think that maybe in your life there's just one particular sin that you keep on falling into? There may be. There may be. But there may be multiples. But the sin I think he's talking about here is the sin of unforgiveness. It's a sin we are most commonly challenged with. Most common. This is the sin that's prevalent in our society. We are more susceptible to the sin of unforgiveness than anything else. Because it's so easy for people to offend you and you're around people all the time and they don't watch what they say or what they do. So then the scripture says, then we will be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination for the path that has been already marked out before us. So he said here, we must let go every wound. So we are wounded in our heart by what people say to us or about us. We are wounded by what people do to us or what they don't do for us, where we expect them to do something. We get wounded in our heart. We go like, oh, that hurts my heart. It's something like, it's a common thing. That hurts my heart. So... An alternative translation for this is this. We must get rid of the arrow tip in us. Everybody say arrow tip. We must get rid of the arrow tip in us. Literally, we've been shot in the heart. That is the hurt that came. That's the wound. That's the offense. And what we do is we try and pull that arrow out, but it breaks off and the tip remains. And we think we got the arrow out. Got rid of that thing. Yeah, that's not affecting me anymore. Everything is cool. But the arrow tip is still in your heart. The implication is we're carrying the arrow tip with us, inside of us, as a wound. And it's weighing us down, according to this scripture, and it's keeping us from running the race with freedom. You can't run with the arrow tip in you. And what's more, if you know anything about having something in your body, it's releasing toxins. It's causing infection. You can die from the infection. Isn't that the truth? So, you are becoming toxic as a Christian. You are becoming toxic because you have this arrow tip in you. The arrow tip is the wound of unforgiveness. Have you ever heard somebody say, man, that guy stabbed me in the back? Yeah? You said, they probably said that about somebody. Stabbed me in the back. 
What were you saying? You hurt me. He or she offended me. Stabbed me in the back. And guess what? You get stabbed in the back, and then what you do is you go and you try and take the knife out. And it breaks off. See, one day, I was only about 19 years old. We're on our way to go do some ice skating. Some friends of ours went up getting ice skating. And a man ran up to me. black man ran up to me. And he said, please pull the knife out of my back. And I go, are you kidding me? And he turned around and there was this knife stuck in his back. First of all, I couldn't do it. It just wasn't, I couldn't do it. I said, you need to go to hospital, man. You need to go to the ER or something. There's nothing, I'm going to pull the knife out. First of all, I didn't, have the, I didn't have what it takes to pull the knife out. Just, I wanted to help the guy, but yeah, couldn't do it. So I've seen a knife in somebody's back. And if you've been stabbed in the back, it's probably an offense, probably hurt you. And the knife may have come out, but the blade remained in your back. So you now have a an arrow tip in your heart, and you have a knife blade in your back. That's going to bother your sleeping. And bother you when you breathe, when you try and walk and run. Now, this says here, this is going to inhibit our running the marathon. The word marathon here is the word for obstacle course. In other words, the scripture is saying in the Greek, the word is agona, like agony, agona. So that's where we get agony from. So the Christian life, to some extent, is agony. Agony. Because you're running a race with obstacles in it, and it's a difficult race. Anybody who says to you the Christian life's a bed of roses, don't know what they're talking about. I haven't been a Christian for a long time. You've been a Christian long enough, you know, it's a bed of thorns, not roses. And you're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties. The question is, how do we overcome them? Now, in May 2007, Jack and I were invited to attend an all-expenses-paid weekend with Dr. Pat Robinson and his son from CBN, Christian Broadcasting 700 Club in Florida. We were invited to the beautiful Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Naples, Florida. Wow! And everything was going fine. All expenses paid. Until Gordon got up to preach, and he preached on forgiveness. And a deep conviction set in while he was preaching. Pretty much like what's happening to you now. <laughs> it's been three weeks, and I'm trying to get the conviction to set in. Shout, I'm convicted. No, I'm just kidding with you. Just Well, during that time, while he was talking... I got convicted by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit said to me, you need to forgive the financial broker that you're suing right now. I go, he fraudulently overcharged me $9,000 when he was refinancing my home. And the Lord said, forgive him. So I had to forgive this guy, the anger and the $9,000 by following the scriptures and doing, and my attorney was like, What? Say what? He was like astounded. He said, you know, you've got a solid case. I said, yeah, but I've got to follow what God says. It began a deep work in my heart right at that point. This was May. 
Shortly after that, I got back home, and the Holy Spirit says to me, you need to forgive the congregation from Harvest for Christ Church, and you need to repent. I go, hold your horses. I was the one that they were criticizing and attacking. I was the one. So the Lord said to me, do you think you're perfect? Now, you know he's got me cornered already. <laughs> and you can't argue with God. So I go, of course not. He said, then you were partly to blame since you were not perfect. Okay. okay you can play like that. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the story. And remember, I said to you, it's going to be very difficult for me to revisit these memories. So I'm going to tell you the story. So what happened was that I wanted to introduce a Christianity 101 service after our full-on Pentecostal spiritual service in the morning. I wanted to do a second service. Because I wanted to reach the lost. And I began, I was criticized. I was falsely accused and misjudged because people did not understand my heart and my motives. Somehow they didn't understand that I wanted to reach the lost at any cost. They didn't have the burning passion that I had, like Renard Bonker says, to plunder hell and populate heaven. This was, my, this was my, uh, my goal. This is what I was wanting to do. I wanted to impact San Diego with this 101 Christianity. I wanted to give them a doorway in. I didn't want to frighten them off when they came in the church and found everybody talking in tongues and rolling on the floor and, and hands in the air and all this kind of stuff. People go, these people are crazy, and they leave before we can even present the gospel to them. So they began to criticize me, and it got, it got tremendously tough. I mean, the criticism was excruciatingly painful, especially when you think that you're righteous doing the right thing, and you're being falsely accused. Okay? So I spent the first three months of the year 1999 on my face, weeping before God every day, asking God to forgive these people and asking God to release me from being a pastor. I asked him, can I leave the ministry? After being in the ministry for 20 years, I said, I cannot take the pain. You need to get somebody else to do this. Please, don't judge me. God, would you release me? Three months. And eventually, I shut the church down in March. I did my best to forgive the people who drove me out of the ministry. Understand what happened. Most of you have never heard this. Before we left, we planted a brand new church, which was later to be called Heart of God. A harvest church gave them all the equipment that they needed, all the seats that they needed, and a nucleus of 150 people who were faithful tithers. We also paid for a storage, two storage units, for two years in advance. And all the additional equipment that we then didn't give away, we gave to five different churches. The church was big. We had 30,000 square foot space. 
over 650 members. It was huge. We gave it away. Plus, we gave the church $70,000 in cash. And there's people sitting here today who were actually on the committee that I appointed before I left. They're sitting in this room today. We made them elders. We put them in charge of the church. And we said, choose yourself a pastor from amongst yourself. And I did my best to forgive, to forgive them, but the hits kept coming. Soon after we left, Jackie had the stroke. Literally weeks after. One year later, as they were celebrating their one-year anniversary, I called Pastor Mark McElwee, who had taken over the church, and I said, it would be a great honor for me as the apostolic oversight of that church that started the church to come and to preach for you on your one-year celebration. And he refused to allow me to preach. And he told me that the people in the church were still mad at me and hadn't forgiven me for leaving. I thought I had forgiven them. Now, the story's not over. Let's go back to May, September. We're living in Florida. God told me I must forgive the church. I have to forgive and I have to repent. So I did what God told me. Again, I did. This is 2007. You must understand something. This is nearly 10 years later. And I thought I'd forgive them. I didn't realize I was walking around with the arrow tip in my, in my heart. I didn't realize I had a broken off knife blade in my back. But I'm convinced now that the, un- the offenses that occurred in our hearts was the door that opened up for Satan to come in and give Jackie the stroke. And I've never said that publicly. But I believe that the sin of offense is that bad. You have no defense against it. Satan has a wide open door to come in and to wreak havoc in your life. We moved back to Escondido in the year 2007, in the month of September. So it's still in the same year. And when I got here, I reached out to every single person that I had contact information. I didn't contact them prior of the last seven or eight, nine years, but I had the information, so I reached out to every single person that was part of the Harvest Church, and I invited them to come to our home in Escondido for a communion service. And around 30 or 40 people came. I served them communion, and I repented to them face to face. for being offended, and for leaving the ministry. But the hits kept coming. I had a call from one of the people that I reached out to. And they said to me, Henry, you're not a friend of mine and you never will be. I'm not coming. But we had communion that day with those who came. And I did what God told me to do irrespective of how painful it was. January the next year, 2008, I was in my quiet time, I was reading the scriptures, and I want to read to you what I was reading. I was reading in Luke chapter 6, reading through the Bible, and verse 27, and it says, Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. 
And pray for those who mistreat you. Okay, God will write my name in there. If someone strikes you on your cheek, strike him back. No, it says turn the other cheek. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him. Give him, give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, steals from you, don't demand it back. Do to others as they have done to you. Oh, that's the reverse vision, huh? That's what we'd like our carnal mind to read there. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says, do to others as you want them to do to you. Lend without expecting to get anything back, and then your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. Be merciful, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And you know, I, I, I spoke up and I said, Lord, this is a hard scripture. This is a, this is a toughie. God, have mercy. This is a hard scripture to obey. Anybody feel like that? Okay. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I was surprised what the still small voice said to me. He said, because it, it's pride. I'll go, what? I'm not proud. Obviously, I was. And then he explained to me. He said, every time you refuse to obey the word, you are refusing to submit. Because you think you can really work it out yourself without God. That you can actually do it my way, like Frank Sinatra says. That I don't need to do it God's way. See, that's pride. That's depending. So when God says do this, God says tithe. You say, no, I don't need to. I can go through life without tithing. That's pride. You think you can get by without God? Well, I don't need Jesus. Jesus is a crutch. I don't need Jesus. Yep, that's pride. That's pride. Hello? I'm going to get to heaven my way. Pride? Are you out there? You're going home. So you see how that works. So naturally I repented. And I committed myself, God, I will obey even the tough instructions. And I knew I just cornered myself because he's about to start with me. I mean, I thought it had been tough up until now. So he says to me, there's a friend of yours that owes you $400. I want you to forgive the $400. I go, Lord, you know that was a business transaction. I sold him a shell corporation. He's owed me the money for two years. It's, it's my money. He said, that's the whole problem. He's owed you money for two years and it's now become an offense in your life. Again, didn't know it, but I was angry every time I thought about him. <laughs> Funny I couldn't put two and two together. <laughs> You'd think such a spiritual guy would have more insight to realize something wrong. Okay, so I forgave him. It's only 400 bucks. 
forgive him. So when Jackie gets up that morning, I'm sharing with Jackie my spiritual experience, what I'm going through. I want somebody to share my pain. God is busy dealing with me. So I'm sharing with Jackie. I said, this is what happened. So she says to me, oh, well then, according to this scripture, we need to forgive Hain the loan of $21,000 we gave him. Okay, see, here's the problem. God is not talking to you. Don't you be coming the Holy Spirit in my life. You're my wife. You're supposed to, you know what I mean? I have one person in my church, and that's you, and I don't allow women to speak in my church. $21,000. All right. I have a choice to make. Am I going to obey the scripture, follow the commitment I make, or am I going to renege because there's a number that's above my commitment level? You follow? There may be a sin that you won't forgive because it's above your commitment level. I'll forgive you to here, but not from here. So I was relieved. I was righteous. Free from sin. Free from all unforgiveness. Until two nights later. Literally two o'clock in the morning, God wakes me up. He could have spoken in the morning. You know, I'm, I get up reasonably early, but 2 o'clock. He wakes me at 2 o'clock and he says, I don't want you to send the letter that you've written to this Christian businessman. All right. I'm going to tell you the story. So while we're in Florida, a Christian man in the church approaches me and says he owns an oil well. And do I want to make an investment in his oil well? Takes me to show me the oil well. Everything looks good. I'm trusting him, he's a Christian. <clears throat> we sign up a contract and I start to invest money in. And I keep on investing, keep on investing because he's going down deeper and deeper and deeper to get the oil. And uh, he's taking a cut off everything that goes in, plus he's charging me management fees. And so a whole bunch of us from the church, he's invited. Now, we're all involved. There's like 10 of us, and we're involved. <clears throat> it turns out that he's not being honest with us. So we start letter writing. You're not being honest. You're being dishonest. What you're doing is not right. And, uh, you know, you've got to give my money back. And uh, by now, it's $300,000. It's a lot of money. By anybody's means, but let me explain to you. I was not in the ministry. I was working the cruise lines, and if you know, I, I did very, very well while I was working the cruise lines. And I had a beautiful penthouse on the beach in Florida, and it was worth millions of dollars. So I took a second mortgage on it. Now, I'm, again, I'm sharing this information with you. It's a personal information. I'm not trying to say anything. I just, I wasn't in the ministry. I was working. And you see, if I got released from ministry, I could make it in the world with God's help. There's no problem. So we were doing very well. So we took, we took the, the mortgage and we invested into oil well. The Lord says, I want you to forgive him. You see, by now we are writing really ugly letters. Really ugly letters. This and that and this and that. And he says to me, the Lord says to me, I want you to forgive him. 
And then I want you to repent. And then I want you to ask him to forgive you. Like this is, it's okay, I can do it in my room. I don't have to talk to him. No, 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 no. You talk to him. You repent to him. And you ask him to forgive you. See, this is what Jesus had said. We've been reading scriptures, right? This is what he said to him. So I said, <clears throat> Lord, I want to, you know, just, I'm the injured party. Why do I always have to say sorry? <laughs> Why is it that I have got the sign on me, this target said, you need to repent. You, you. Could it have been nice if he did it? And the Lord spoke to me again. Holy Spirit, are we having this conversation two o'clock in the morning? He said, Henry, I want you to be my agent of change. I don't understand, Lord. What do you mean agent of change? He said, I want you to absorb the wrong and break the cycle of sin. Now, let me explain this, what God was telling me then. He said, I want you to be an agent of change. I want you to break this principle, the cycle. What you sow, you reap. What you sow, you reap, and you reap multiple times, right? You reap increase of what you sow. So the Lord was saying to me, by refusing to retaliate and by absorbing the wrong done to me, I prevent it from multiplying back to the person who initiated it. And if I send it out and they retaliate, it comes back to me in greater measure. So I am literally digging my own grave. By saying what I'm saying and doing what I'm doing, I am going to reap what I'm sowing. It's going to come back and really damage me. You with me? So God says, you need to do exactly the opposite of what your carnal mind is saying. Carnal mind is saying, fight him. Say these things about him. But God is saying, don't. Do the exact opposite. Told me you overcome evil by becoming the initiator of good. Instead of multiplying the evil. And this way you represent the kingdom of God. As ambassadors. Rather than falling into the trap set by Satan. Remember the first lesson we gave about the trap. The scandal on being the offense. And he said, and then you look like a hypocrite. You look like a hypocrite. So, what we do is we neutralize the attempt of the devil to use you to create further evil. Think about it just for a minute. The devil is using Christians to create more evil. By retaliating this way, instead of by forgiving, we reverse the attack. We absolutely reverse the attack and turn it into a victory for the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus did. He never retaliated. Ever. Never retaliated. He absorbed the evil that was sent to him. You see, this is why God says, vengeance is mine and I will repay. Remember that? Vengeance, I will repay. It's not because God wanted the satisfaction of taking vengeance, which would have been awesome if he had left that to us. 
that part, God, if you could have just stayed in heaven and allowed us to take the vengeance, we could have been the sheriff. We could have judged. We could have got the satisfaction of saying things and doing things and hurting people back. Now you get all that pleasure. And it's not because God wants pleasure. It's because He's trying to protect us from what's going to happen because of the seeds we sowed. We're going to multiply that back to us. So He said, just leave vengeance to me. I'll take care of it. I want you to absorb the wrong and be an agent of change. You see, Jesus was the greatest agent of change we know. He healed the sick, change. Cast out demons, change. Raised the dead, change. He came to the sinful world to redeem us from sin to make us righteous, change. He was an agent of change. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. That's Romans chapter 12. And we don't even have to read it. It's there. Okay. So Jesus' assignment was to redeem the world. So now, the Holy Spirit says to me, I need to forgive this man. I need to stop this whole argument and lawsuit that's going on. And so I agreed. This time, it wasn't $400 or $9,000 or $21,000. Now it was $300,000. You see how God was nice and gentle? (laughs) Took me up slowly. Warmed the kettle a little bit at a time. And then jumped from twenty-one dollars to 300000 So I forgave him. I lost the 300000 investment. I sold my investment that I have for only $40,000. But I was able to write off the balance over 13 years against the IRS. But I was free. I was out of the prison of unforgiveness. Remember what Jesus said? To that servant who wouldn't uh, uh, forgive. And it was about money. He said, throw him into prison. And then the tormentors are going to have his way with him. Now March 2008. We're just a couple of months down the road from this whole episode. I take Jackie to South Africa to get prayed for by a prophet, Prophet Kubis. So he prays for us. He prophesies over us. And God calls us back into the ministry to full time. So, a week after getting home from South Africa, the investment we had made to the coal mine, not the oil well. And I know I'm sharing some intimate stuff with you that's like, you shouldn't be talking about that. Well, I think you need to understand really what I've been through in order to understand the gravity of these conditions. I don't think you could appreciate it if I said, well, you know, they owed me some money and I forgave them. Yeah, well, that's cool. You know, a person says something ugly to me and I go, okay, you're forgiven. Yeah. No, no, no. You need to understand where I've been and the road that I've, the journey I've been on. So when we refinanced our condominium down in Tampa, we took $600,000 out. We put 300000 oil, we put 300000 in the coal mine because we weren't going to work again. They were going to make plenty of money for us. And they didn't. Okay, they didn't. But we came back from South Africa after God called me back to the ministry. And a week later, the loan that we had made to the coal mine of 300000 was replayed plus interest. Remember, I forgave 300000 I had already lost both of them, but God gave it back to me 
300,000. Nobody else got paid out. Nobody else got paid. The bank went, the coal mine went bankrupt. And we were the only investor that got paid out. And it was with that money that we started the promised church. But God had to prepare me for 10 years to get the arrow tips out of my heart, knife out my back, to come to a place of forgiveness to when he could speak to me again. Had I not forgiven, I wouldn't have been in ministry today. I'm going to tell you one more story, and this is the most difficult of all. And it goes back to October 2000, and that's the reason I didn't tell you in the beginning. It goes back to October of 2000. Remember, Jackie had the stroke in, uh, in April of 99. So it's about 18 months after this. We heard about a, a pastor, an African man in Lagos, Nigeria, uh, Prophet Joshua, who was having phenomenal miracles. We saw videos of his work. Uh, he had about 20,000 people in his church on a Sunday. And uh, there, there's so many healings and miracles that are occurring there. In fact, over 700 people back then in the year 2000 had been healed from HIV AIDS back then. Uh, blind eyes were opening, paralyzed people were walking. Uh, it was phenomenal. So I, the moment I saw these videos, I began to pray and fast. and went on a fast. And uh, we reached out to them. We phoned the church and we said we'd like to come over there uh, for Prophet Joshua to pray for Jackie. And the person I was speaking to, the administrator, said to me, um, did he invite you? And I go, no, he doesn't know me. How could he invite me? So he said, uh, she said, well, you know, you need to be invited to come. I go, well, that's rather weird. Um, but I said, anyway, we'll come and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll fly there. We'll book ourselves into a hotel and we'll come to church on Sunday. And she said to me, oh, no, that's not going to work. She said, uh, if you're going to uh, come here, you need to stay on the campus. You've got to stay in the campus, not, not in the hotel. I said, oh, well, that's fine. Um, so we booked our airfares with much excitement, expectation, and we flew all the way to Logos, Nigeria. We arrived. They put us in a small room right next to the kitchen cafeteria area on a mattress on the floor, and uh, there were five people sharing the room, just divided by a curtain. Um, and so very primitive very primitive, and they gave us 50 hours of videos to watch of the healings that had been occurring. So we were excited to watch the videos and everything, and then uh, they kept coming to me to offer me food. I said, no, well, I'm fasting. I was on a 40-day fast, and they said, no, you, you can't do that. You have to eat. I said, no, no, I'm, I'm fasting. And so the prophet sent a message to me and said to me, you have to stop your fast. You have to eat because uh, you can't compel God to heal your wife. Well, you know I'm not compelling God. I know what fasting is about. I'm trying to listen to God to be sensitive. I'm not trying to compel God to do anything. And uh, so I just kept on doing it. After my 40-day fast was finished, just water for 40 days, um, I began to eat a little bit of food. And then there was an offering bowl outside in the, in the passageway near our room. So I took a few hundred dollars, you know, and put an offering there. Well, the next day they came and brought it back to me. And they said, no, we don't want you to give the offerings uh, because you can't bribe God to heal you. And I go, you need to read my book. <laughs> I'm not trying to bribe God at all. I believe in your ministry, and I'm wanting to give graciously to bless your ministry. There's nothing to me bribing God. Well, three, three days into it, it's now about the Wednesday. They come to me, and they say, Prophet Joshua is not going to pray for your wife, Jackie, because he didn't invite you. And I go, what do you mean? What do you mean he's not going to pray for us? 
Why? Well, he, he needs to hear from God, and he's got to invite you, and you haven't been invited. So here we are. We're just finishing 40-day fast. We're lying on the mattress in this dingy African hut type uh, thing. But they say all hope's not lost because he's praying now to find out if God wants him to pray for you. So now we're praying that God would talk to him. We're not praying for healing now. Now we're praying God talk to him. Anyway, so Sunday morning arrives, and we get ushered out with about 100 Westerners into a special designated area amongst the 20,000 people, special designated area, for the longest, most grueling service in my life. It starts at 8 o'clock in the morning, goes through to 4 o'clock. Okay, so got plenty of time. So we sing and we sing and we sing and we sing. The word extended praise meaning means nothing. We don't use it correctly. And they bring speaker out after speaker and sing more and spring. And eventually at 12 o'clock, the prophet comes out and he preaches for an hour. Then we get ushered across the other side of the auditorium. There's a 700 people sitting there with a pony wall. And we get taken across there. These are the people he's going to pray for. 700 people. You know, we call pastors to help us if we've got seven. <laughs> so I realized this is going to be a long time. It's going to be a long time. Anyway, we're out there and pray. Two hours later, he's been praying, praying. Two hours, we're seeing blind eyes open. We're seeing cripples walking, lame people. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, it's days of miracles like Jesus. We are freaking out. We're so excited. He comes to us. Everybody's got a card with a number on it. We don't have a card with a number. But I mean, that's not important, right? So he comes to us, he walks right past us, doesn't pray for us, keeps praying for people. He's three or four people away, he's past us now. It's been two hours to get to us, he's two or three feet away. So I go, Prophet Joshua, Prophet Joshua, you missed us. Come pray for Jackie. And he just ignores me and he keeps going. So I begin to feel like the two blind guys calling out to Jesus, have mercy on us. I mean, seriously, this is what I'm thinking. Jesus has walked past me. So I start to scream out. Prophet Joshua, have mercy. Have mercy on my wife, Jackie. And they send somebody to tell me to be quiet. I go, boy, this is Bible days. Be quiet. The prophet does not like to be shouted at, doesn't like to people call after him. I said, but he missed us. He didn't pray for us. So I ignored them. I am not going to let an opportunity like this walk past. The love of my life has been hit by a severe stroke. And there's a man here who's ministering in the gifts of the power who could touch her and heal her. Are you kidding with me? So I shouted the louder. Have mercy, Prophet Joshua, on my wife Jackie. And they sent people to us and said, if you don't be quiet, they'll escort you out. But he will speak to you after the service. Service finished at 4 o'clock. We get escorted back to our seats. They came and they said to us, we're going to give you a letter of invitation to come back. I said, you know how far California is and how much it costs to get here? So we're going to give you a letter so you can get into, back into Nigeria. So we left. Next day we went. But instead of flying back here, we flew to South Africa because it was closer. We got to South Africa and I started calling back to find out if he had heard from God. And very difficult to phone in Africa to get through to 
African to get through. It's just impossible. 100 calls a day for 30 days, trying to get through. We got through it about five, five times. Most of the time, we didn't get through. I left messages. I kept on being told to be patient. So during that time, what we decided to do is to set up a speaking engagement while I was in South Africa. And you know what we did when we went to those churches? We prayed for the sick. We caused demons out. We saw the lame stand out of wheelchairs. We saw blind eyes open. We saw miracles happening. We saw hundreds of people coming to Christ. But we still don't get an answer from Nigeria. So we spent Christmas there and New Year. I got, you know, I got to get back to America. I can't spend the rest of my days in South Africa. So we bought air tickets. We flew back. This time we booked ourselves into a hotel. So on Sunday morning, we take a taxi. We get to church at 8 o'clock. I know it starts at 8 o'clock. So we arrive there, and they won't let us in. And they come to see us, and we're sitting in the taxi, and, they, and we're trying to get out the taxi. He said, no, don't get out the taxi. You can't come in. I said, why can't we come in? And they said, uh, because we didn't invite you. I said, are you got to be kidding with me? Are you got to be kidding with me? Uh, we we want to come in for prayer. They said, yeah, uh, but you're sick, and you have to sit with the sick people. Okay, okay, that's we can do that. But you see, there's 700 sick people, and they all have numbers, and they've been here since 5 o'clock this morning, and you don't have a number. So you're telling me I can't sit with the sick people? No. I said, okay, well, I'll sit with the Westerners. Well, no, no, first of all, I said, I'll just sit with the congregation. And they said, no, we won't allow you to sit with the congregation. There's 20,000 black people will not let you sit with the black people amongst them. Okay, so then I'll sit with the Westerners. Let me put it with the Westerners. They said it's full. So now the unsaved taxi driver says, please get in the car. I will take you to a church that is a Christian church that has compassion for sick people. So I said, okay, let's go. Just then, the administrator comes out, and she said, the prophet has made an an exception for you. You can come and sit with the Westerners. Then they got two seats. So they took us to the Western section. Another eight hours. This time we're told not to come through to where the 700 people are being prayed for. Sit in your seat. Don't get out. When the service is finished at 4 o'clock, they come to us and said, the prophet will see you now. Okay, great. So we go through to the cafeteria, which is right next to the kitchen area. We sit on a wooden, wooden bench. We sit there from 4 o'clock until 9 o'clock that night, waiting to see the prophet, waiting for him to pray for us. Now there's a bus, a courtesy bus that's going to take the Westerners to the airport, and they're loading the bus, and it's about to leave. And we've got to get on that bus because that's how we can get back to the airport. We get called to his office. We go to his office. He hands me a, a prayer cloth. And he says to me, you must pray for your wife. Like I haven't. You must pray for her. And to offset your expenses, he has $1,500. And here's a letter for you to come back. And I'll call you. And that was 20 years ago. And we're still waiting for the call.
And the first thing we did when we got back to South Africa is I set up some speaking engagements, and the first one we had was in Amarillo, Texas, with Trinity Fellowship Church, which was the church where Jackie, when I was preaching there, Jackie had the stroke. Two years later, I take Jackie back to the same church. And when we finished preaching, the Monday night I had a healing service. 1,200 people came out to the healing service. We had miracles upon miracles. 12 people came out of wheelchairs. 12. We prayed until 4 o'clock in the morning. Church was over at 8. We prayed for another 8 hours. Jackie was sitting right there. And I kept praying for every single person who wanted prayer. And I didn't ask God if he wanted me to pray for any of them. Had I taken offense, I would have killed any opportunity that God would have had from future ministry. I would have put myself in prison with the, all the other unforgiving inmates. The last person you have to forgive is yourself. God has forgiven you. But you see, you repented, God forgave you. But the sin, the devil is using your sin to condemn you through your memories. You will probably never forget the incident that you did. But it's time you forgive yourself. You put yourself in your own prison. God didn't put you there. God forgave you. Can you change your past? No. But you can change the way that you feel about yourself. You can change loathing yourself into loving yourself. See, you can disarm the devil and neutralize his condemnation. Don't join the pack of dogs that the devil is using to attack you. Once and for all, appropriate the blood of Jesus. Forgive those that have offended you and forgive yourself. Pull the arrow tip out of your heart. Pull the broken knife blade out of your back and ask the Holy Spirit to heal your wounds. Set yourself free from the prison. Pardon others so that you may be pardoned.